This is the Fenway Rundown, the premier podcast for all things Boston Red Sox. You know, people harp on the last place thing, but essentially what's important is the record. If the Red Sox want people to start thinking the ownership cares, then maybe they should talk. This is the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live. Here are your hosts, Chris Cotillo and Sean McAdam. Happy Tuesday. Welcome back to the Fenway Rundown podcast, Mass Live's Red Sox show. Came at you yesterday with an episode discussing the Hall of Fame ballot. Today, back with Sean McAdam getting into the latest news uh, with the Red Sox and kind of wrapping up the headlines over the last few days and looking forward to what should be, and I say should be, uh, with the total possibility of jinxing ourselves here as people who would like a few days off. A slow and easy week for the Red Sox with Thanksgiving on the horizon. Usually you see the baseball world shut down a little bit and then pick up next week before the winter meetings, which are the week after Nashville. Sean and I will be there. Um, Red Sox with a press release about five minutes before we started rolling here. It is the most anticipated press release of all time. The Andrew Bailey move is official. He is the new pitching coach for the Red Sox. Coaching staff is not finalized. They don't have a third base coach yet, but Andrew Bailey will be the guy who replaces Dave Bush. We've gone over that before. Close relationship with Craig Breslow. Um, But I guess satisfying for the Red Sox, Sean, to wrap up their first piece of offseason business on an official basis. Yeah, uh, we knew this was going to happen. We had reported it more than a week ago, as did other outlets. Um, But finally, confirmation. There was some question about why there was a holdup on this. You and I had speculated that maybe they might wait to completely fill out their coaching staff and do it as a tandem. They elected not to do that. They still do not, at least officially, have a third base coach. could come at any moment. It could be internal. could be any number of things. But we do know that Andrew Bailey's official. And, uh, you know, a, I think you and I agree, a good start to the offseason. He was a guy in demand. He has a history, obviously, with Craig Breslow personally and professionally and is pretty respected throughout the game for his time coaching the Angels and Giants. So there's a pitching coach in place. It's not Nola or Yamamoto or a big name free agent, but it is the first bidding war won by the Red Sox. As we've talked about, the Yankees run on him, the Orioles, the Marlins, the White Sox, some of these other teams. So the fact that they were able to go out and get their guy um, is a good sign. Obviously, the relationship with Craig Breslow is helpful. Red Sox also made some news on Friday night. It was a non-tender deadline. We speculated on here about some of the moves they could make. A couple guys that were on the chopping block. They did make a trade, sending second baseman Luis Urias to the Mariners for a reliever, Isaiah Campbell. Reese McGuire, who we thought might have been on the bubble, is safe. He was tendered a contract. He comes back and uh, will assume everything stays the same. We'll back up Connor Wong again. And they did non-tender Wyatt Mills, who is injured, had Tommy John surgery over the summer. That was the only non-tender move. I think from everybody's perspective, that move of Urias, um, not a you know, fire up the duck boats type move, but one where you know the Red Sox turned a player who you know, they were probably going to either move on from or try to sign at a reduced rate. They traded a guy who didn't really have a place on the roster for a reliever with options, a guy with upside, a guy who had a good, you know, first taste of the big leagues last year in Campbell. Um they're trying to add pitching depth. They found a way to make the roster a little bit more functional, and that's how GMs talk, so I'll use the same phrase. Again, is Isaiah Campbell Trevor Hoffman? No. Um, but I think a functional move to start Craig Breslow's offseason. 
Yeah, and um, we've talked about toward the end of the season, Alex Cora uh, discussing the changing nature of the bullpen and saying that he wanted more options next year, including guys with options. And Campbell fits that category as a guy that can be kind of yo-yoed between Worcester and Boston, um, depending on need, depending on availability, depending on usage, all the things that go into running a bullpen now. Uh, Campbell's a fairly hard thrower. That was another thing that Alex Cora said he wanted more of, guys with you know kind of premium velocity. So as you noted, for a guy that they didn't seem to have a lot of plans for, or certainly not a lot of plans for at 4.7 million is projected number through salary salary arbitration. They at least get a useful arm who they can uh, manipulate a little bit, send up and down as need be, and give them one more hard thrower out in the bullpen. Over the last couple of years, that's been an issue. You know, they've had guys who they've not had the flexibility. And I think that that's been something that Alex Cora is looking for moving forward. We know how the back end of the bullpen, barring a trade, is going to shape up. Kenley Jansen, Chris Martin, Schreiber, Winkowski, these guys. But to have the optionable righties, Kelly, Nick Robertson, who is a guy that showed a little bit down the stretch after coming over in the Kike trade. And now Campbell, I think, you know, that's three guys that should be in the mix. Urias, to me, moving him, you know, I know at the GM meetings, Craig Breslow told you guys who were down there, we're comfortable with the four in-house second base options that we have. That's down to three. I mean, to me, you know, if it wasn't already a certainty they were going to add from the outside at second base, now it is. Pablo Reyes, David Hamilton, Emmanuel Valdez. You know, there's probably not a starter in that mix. Arias was the guy who had the most major league time of those three. I know Valdez has some potential, but um, if it wasn't certain already, I think it is now. Yeah, I I would say that Valdez has the potential to uh, develop into an everyday player. We certainly saw improvement defensively from him when he came back up to the major leagues after spending some time at AAA. He's an unfinished project. He needs to get better defensively. And frankly, uh, offensively, too, there's a lot of swing and miss there. But from the left-hand side, uh, you can at least see some upside. And if he could make himself into at least a adequate defender, or at least close to it, he's someone that could keep that seat warm at the very least until maybe Nick York is ready or some other middle infield options appear. But I would be very surprised if they didn't do something, whether that be uh, Jonathan India, to whom they've been linked uh, a guy that the Reds have made known is available. Um, there are some other lesser free agent options out there, maybe some trade possibilities, but I think there's going to be additional competition at that second base spot uh, between now and the start of spring training. Otherwise, on Friday night, not much in the way of surprises. Wyatt Mills, a guy that I don't think we mentioned his name on the show and doing you know 80 of these episodes since May. He was a guy that I think the Red Sox were intrigued by getting from the Royals last year and a trade about this time for Jacob Wallace, a reliever, a local kid. Um, he was kind of impressive during spring training, ended up getting hurt, blowing his arm out, Tommy John surgery. And at this point, you know, the Red Sox just said, you know, we don't need you to have a 40 man spot. Um, probably one of those guys that's a candidate to come back on a minor league deal, but no longer with the Red Sox organization there. And Reese McGuire tendered a contract you had anticipated all along. That would be the case. I think at that price point, $1.6 million, $1.7 million, it makes sense. And um, they probably looked around the free agent market and said, eh, this guy for that price is probably as good as we're going to do. 
I mean, there are a couple of options out there on the catching free agency front, but for under $2 million, a left-handed bat to provide a little compliment to Connor Wong, a guy who has caught this pitching staff for a year and change and is familiar with them. Uh, again, we're moving toward 2025 and Kyle Teal being the Red Sox catcher of the future. So it's not as if there needs to be a long-term solution behind the plate. They're again looking for seat warmers here, guys that are going to be here for a brief period of time and for a relatively affordable number that looks like Reese McGuire. Outside of the Red Sox organization, there has been some major action the last few days. The free agent market is starting to move. There was a big-time blockbuster signing on Sunday. Aaron Nola, Dave Dombrowski gives him a ton of money, seven years for $172 million. I think that's a guy that we had identified previously as a really good fit for the Red Sox. Big market acumen, eating innings, a guy who's proven, durable, everything that Red Sox were probably looking for this offseason instead a quick deal to go back to Philly and kind of setting the market at about 24 and a half million. To me, uh, it, it, it hurts the Red Sox a little bit to have that guy come off the market and to set the market at seven years. I don't think the Red Sox just guessing here would have loved to go seven years for any pitcher, but uh, the Phillies are willing to their championship window is obviously wide open. He was comfortable there. And apparently according to reports took less money from other teams to go back to Philly Dave Dombrowski doing Dave Dombrowski things, Sean. Not a total shock, but a big way for the starting pitching market, which is the dominant story of at least the Red Sox offseason to start, and one that, um, you know, I think it's clearly a target off the board. We've seen this in, in previous years. Fans are used to this, of a Red Sox target signing elsewhere, and p- perhaps the disappointment of that. I know it's only one guy, but uh, still notable, I think. It's only one guy, but it's one of only three guys that I think qualify as one of those real clear top-of-the-rotation options on the free agent market. And one-third of those guys uh, is now gone. Uh, So in that sense, Nola, uh, you know, would have been an interesting fit here. We've talked about the need for innings and for durability, and Nola certainly comes under that category. He's pitched 200 innings or more three times. He's made a minimum of 32 starts in each of the last five full-length seasons. So he's a guy that's going to go out and give you six, seven innings routinely and take the ball every five or six days. Those guys are at a premium. You would have Blake Snell possibly um, as a guy that would fit that category, although he has less of a history of that durability And then the other option is Yamamoto on the international free agent market. He posts today as we are recording this, and that's a guy that a lot of teams are going to be in on, and we expect the Red Sox to be among them. I think that that is, you know, as we've talked about time and time again, the best free agent out there, the most, uh, the one that's going to intrigue teams the most, 25 years old, crazy numbers in Japan, and a crazy bidding war is about to break out. you know, it's anticipated that every team in baseball is in on this guy from the Yankees to the Dodgers to the Giants to the Mets. The Phillies probably aren't now after signing Nola. Um, remember, this isn't the old posting system. People were talking about, you know, Dice K and paying that fee up front and things like that on Twitter yesterday. That's not how it works. It's an open market for 45 days. And by January 4th, he will have uh, a new team. 
I think the Red Sox are in here. You know, I think the Red Sox have a legitimate shot just because of the need, the money, the history with Japanese players and all of that. How do you assess the Yamamoto market as it opens today? Well, he is now the most in-demand free agent, whether it be North American or international, because of a number of things. Because most teams need front-end pitching. Uh, and the fact that Yamamoto is the rarity of a guy with that profile, but he's also just 25 years old. And that's where I think the Red Sox interests, I think, amps up a little bit here. Because we know that John Henry has a phobia about getting into long-term deals with free agent pitchers who are going to be deep into their 30s, as Aaron Nola would have been, as you noted, already 30-31. He'll be 37-38 by the end of that deal. Uh, that's a risky commitment. Now, all of these deals have some risk associated with them. But the fact that Yamamoto comes in at 25 and you could give him an eight-year deal where he's only 33 at the end, I think lessens the risk for the Red Sox and increases the likelihood that they are serious bidders for him. Indeed, there's a lot of reporting out nationally that has the have the Red Sox, you know, in the top three in terms of uh, deep interest in Yamamoto. And I'd be surprised if they were not significant players for his services. Doesn't mean they're going to get him, but I think they're going to be very aggressive in their pursuit of him. You wrote today on Mass Live uh, a scouting report of Yamamoto speaking to a scout who's seen a lot of him. Um, what were your takeaways from from that reporting and, and writing that today, just from somebody who had uh, a first-person view of watching this guy and knowing what he's all about? Yeah, I guess the biggest surprise might have been that in assessing his stuff, uh, which includes you know five, maybe six different pitches, um, while the scout said that all of them were about were above average pitches, and that really is part of his appeal, that he can throw any number of pitches for strikes, uh, that he has a number of different ways to get you out, that he's not predictable in terms of his repertoire, all of which are positive. The one thing that surprised me a little bit is that um, he doesn't have that elite swing and miss pitch. His fastball is very good but it's not 97, 98 with a ton of swing and miss. He has struck out a lot of hitters. In fact, over the last three years, in addition to winning the Sawamura Award, which is the equivalent of the Cy Young Award over there, he also has won the pitching triple crown in NPB. That means he's led the, uh, he's led the Japanese league in wins, ERA, and strikeouts. So he does have swing and miss stuff, at least against uh, hitters over there. He's not somebody that's going to blow you away with one particular pitch. Rather, it's his assortment of pitches and the ability to go to any number of a handful when he needs to get a strikeout, when he needs a swing and miss, when he needs to come back from being behind in the count. So uh, an intriguing mix, um, but more very good across the board rather than one standout pitch. And I think that's part of the appeal, you know, where uh, when guys – break into the majors and you know they're a one-trick pony sometimes they can be figured out when you have a guy with so many weapons you know obviously the risk of that decreases the free agent market as i said picking up a little bit aaron nola was the first uh, domino to fall two signings yesterday that we'll touch on briefly ronaldo lopez to the braves for three years and 30 million that's your classic 
swingman turned late inning reliever who's going to be stretched out as a starter because the Braves think that they can do that. We've seen that work in the past. Zach Eflin was kind of the guy in that boat last year where, all right, you know, teams, including the Red Sox, are willing to give him starting money when he had never really um, had that full-time role in Philly. So the Braves, who can develop pitchers pretty much like no other, really banking on a former top prospect there. That's a guy, you know, one of these pieces that maybe the Red Sox had the same idea. Unclear. And then the other piece, Lance Lynn, one year, $11 million, back to the Cardinals, who we pitched for like 30 years ago. Um, he's a guy that you kind of know what you're going to get. I always say Lance Lynn, if you look at his baseball reference page, has one of the more underrated careers, I think, that we've seen in the last 10, 15 years. Just the numbers, you know, I know he struggled early last year and he struggled with the Yankees a couple of years ago, but the numbers have been really, really good. And he goes back on a one-year deal. Um, that's the kind of move I think the Red Sox would have made if plans A, B, and C fell through. I don't know that Lynn is a good fit here for his habit of giving up a lot of home runs. This would seem to be not a great ballpark for him. Uh, His home runs allowed are up there among the league leaders most seasons. Certainly that was the case with the White Sox. That's kind of a home run happy park. Uh, So is Fenway, or at least the potential to be that. Uh, And to me, they need to do a lot better than Lance Lynn. I mean, he would slot in here as a four, maybe even a five, Uh, on a quality staff and we know that they need you know kind of the equivalent of a one and a three maybe it's a Yamamoto and Montgomery maybe it's Montgomery and trading for somebody that fits that one or two Um, but I I think the Red Sox have dabbled enough toward the uh, the the veteran back end guy and that's who Lance Lynn is at this point in his career they need to be uh, in on really premium guys and to me Lynn doesn't qualify for that anymore yeah that's right and I you know that feels like though Lynn had you know, probably some more upside at this point feels like that Kluber-esque move that they made a year ago or um, you know some of these aging guys they've added in the past and I think they got to aim higher than that moral of the story the pitching market's starting to move as we've said Thanksgiving week We hope everybody has a good Thanksgiving, and again, we hope for our own purposes that it's a light and easy next few days in the baseball world. Regardless, uh, if anything happens, you'll see it on Mass Live. If we need to do an emergency podcast from our respective houses on Thanksgiving Day, we'll do so. But the best way, as Sean will tell you now, to keep up with everything going on is our Mass Live Fenway Rundown uh, Insider Text Program. Yeah, and we think that um, you know this is the perfect way to stay up to date on everything this off season during the hot stove time. Uh, but also as we get into spring training and all of next year, it's a chance to text with me, with Chris, with Chris Smith to get all the information, get our take on things, get our up to the minute uh, information, be able to exchange ideas. It's a lot of fun. People are enjoying it. And all you have to do is text the word join to 617 617- Seven five one six two five seven. It's four ninety nine a month, but it comes with a fourteen day trial period. We've already seen that the vast majority of people who have tried it out have decided to stay. We think you will too. It's a lot of fun. Text join to six one seven seven five one six two five seven. This has been the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live.